Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. We are going on a little journey today. We're going to travel from Canada 10,000 miles down to one of my favorite, favorite places and spaces to Australia. I have found another amazing Heart-Centered Leader. And today I want to tell you about Jody Wokerling. She has had decades of experience in the corporate world And she feels that it has shown and taught her that resiliency needs to be a key feature to endure success as an individual, as well as set the tone for organizational culture that can be productive and collaborative over the long term. She feels that the modern workplace is filled with constant challenges and competing priorities. And to say I'm excited to interview her is an understatement. So, Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. I I can listen to the Australian accent all day. I have so many wonderful colleagues and friends and I just, I'm sure I sound different to you, but just know the Australian accent has a wonderful space in my heart because I've worked with many amazing Australians. So I am going to start with my leadership questions if you are ready. Good to go. You talk about and have an inkling to feel that leaders set the tone. Share with us where that comes from and what you mean by that. And how has it kind of backfilled your leadership story? Leaders basically behave in a particular way. And that in one way sets an example for everybody else in the organization. And it sets boundaries of what isn't acceptable. Well, so just say you have a leader who tends to get angry and express their anger in front of their staff. By default, that is basically setting an on-edge tense environment and it's setting permission for other people to act the same way. So when you think about that they set the tone, where did that value system come from, from your own observation and how does it show up in your leadership today? So it's a combination of observation, but also personal mistakes as a leader, because we're all human, we all make mistakes. And for my own life, the reason why I focus on resilience is I was very seriously affected by stress for most of my working career. And when I got to the stage of basically wanting to really make a serious change with that, step back and go, okay, how did that affect me as a leader? And how did that actually change the dynamics within my team? So that's really the origin of it is observing other leaders, but also very much self-reflection. Well, and it's interesting because we were chatting and getting to know each other a bit before we hit record. And that is so visceral for me, what you just said. 
having a stress in a career that was probably fun and progressive, but came with that obligation on your shoulders to a level of stress that led you to get out and now lead others. So you don't just walk the walk and talk the talk. You, you've been there. You can share that personal reflection. And I love that you talked about basking in imperfection because we all are. Absolutely. Part of being human. And part of the great source of growth is to actually reflect on that and work towards doing better. Well, I feel being heart-centered really is showing the best version of your imperfection, which is why I love the name of the show. So my second question has permanent residency on the show. I always love to ask it. I always get similar, but never the same answer. So share with us what imperfections that Jody brings to her heart-centered leadership. Stress would definitely be the number one, but I've done so much work on it now. It does still occur and it does still affect me, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. It used to be to the point where I was almost obsessed and it affected me physically, it affected relationships, all that sort of stuff. So that's probably the big one. I very much am an independent person who likes to do things themselves. So a lot of my imperfection is around things like stepping back and delegating and allowing other people to take lead, very much getting better on that. But it's a conscious effort. It's not something that comes naturally. I think a lot of people can say and resonate with that with you. And I think that systematic approach can come from varied sources. I see it a lot in leaders, and I'd love for you to chime in. It can be episodic or remnant of a leader that they have. And then they think that's part of their norm in their toolkit for leading. Is that something that you had exposure to yourself? Yeah, it's definitely to do with the leadership that you've learned from, which is why the current culture is interesting, because the culture of leadership is very much developing and changing quite rapidly. So very few current leaders have had really good role models to learn from. But also a lot of it is actually our way of handling things and our perception of ourselves and the world. A lot of that's formed sort of in childhood as well. I mean, and that could be looking at people like your parents as leaders. Absolutely. And, and I know from Psychology 101 that social development is done and learned by age six. So you think about that in terms of months. I always laugh with new parents when, you know, they say, oh, this toddler, this terrible too. And I always say, but they've only been on the earth for 24 months. So all kidding aside, you look at the first 72 months of life and to think that social development is done in that time, it's impactful because it's not a long time and it can have remnants well into your adulthood. And it certainly has a place within the trajectory of leadership. So I love that. Okay, my third question is, you talk about what a privilege it is to lead. Where does that value system or core belief come from? And did you always feel that way? Well, I don't think I always felt that way all along. There's a couple of real privileges in it. One, you're almost entrusted with, to some extent, the well-being development of people who you're leading. So it's a privilege to be in that position to be able to have such an influence on other people's lives. As leaders, you've actually got the ability to make a real difference. So, for example, if you're the leader of a business that makes decisions that does major issues to customers or staff, whether that's health, environment, can be all sorts of ways. 
But also as a leader, you have the option to make decisions that your podcast is titled. So that can be heart-centered for your staff. It can be heart-centered for your customers. It can even be heart-centered for your suppliers. You're in really privileged position to be able to make a difference in a lot of people's lives, either directly or indirectly. Oh, absolutely. And and I love that you extended that beyond, you know, traditional leadership within an organization. You look at the supply chain right now with unprecedented times and you're on an island. So I can imagine, and I know you guys are just coming out a very long being at home time. The supply chain is still very much reeling from these unprecedented times. And if anything, that virtue of patience that we exercise on a daily basis, that has to be honed and increased because we're all in the people business. The sector really doesn't matter. And sometimes people can get upset over silly little things. People are just moving things or transporting things and and they're not in charge of the logistical process. So I always say, come sit in the observer's chair and and let's look through the eyes of that frontline worker or that truck driver or, you know, it's not their fault that whatever you order didn't show up, but it always lends a hand and an opportunity to know that that's really not what is setting that person off. It's listening. It probably goes back to the delegation comment that I sort of said as one of my challenges earlier on. Part of delegating is to actually empower other people to have the responsibility and authority to be able to do a particular task or a particular role. When I was in corporate, a large part of my corporate life was a banking branch manager, one of the major banks in Australia. And having that situation where I consciously allowed myself to step back and delegate responsibility to others around me was an extremely fantastic learning experience for me to prepare me in terms of going into consulting. Because until I made that conscious decision and conscious shift in how I led, it was something that I wasn't great at and wasn't consciously not great at, if that makes sense. So being conscious of it and making that change in the way I lead in a consultancy sense, talking to other leaders about it. Well, and just having that alignment and relatability, it, it really helps other people lower their wall of resistance because it's still easy for leaders to get in comparison mode. We're all human and it's such a great example. Absolutely. And I think we learn from our mistakes and and we embrace that imperfection. That's what moves us along and living in the present moment like you're talking about. It's powerful. And I love that you acknowledge that stress was a big motivating factor for you to leave the corporate world and do the work that you're really loving now. And I love that you've done it and you didn't wait until you were sick to do it. That makes my heart smile very much. I'm just going to say it depends on what you mean by sick. I did have physical stuff going on. It wasn't life or death at that stage, but if I'd left it, it could have well been. But you tapped into your intuition and you thought, It's time for my exit. I know a lot of leaders are listening to this and it's the legacy I carry forth every day from the executives that I lost 10 years ago. So this is a success story that you made. You made an inner audit of recognition and now you're helping others. It's a big world out there. We need more Deb Crows and more Jody Walkerlings for sure. I'm going to switch to my Fab Four now. These are just... Four rapid fun questions because we want to see what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. So first question, tell us something that we don't know about you. 
I am otherwise referred to as the crazy cat lady because I constantly surrounded by cats. If people watch my videos online, they'll quite often see cameos from my cats. So currently have three, but have had stages of having more. That's awesome. There's many animal lovers within the world, which I think has brought one of the blessings of COVID is more and more people have fostered, rescued, adopted. It's wonderful. So that's kind of fun. So now I know that about you. Second question, share with us a book that really impacted and changed your life. And it can be personally or even on a professional level. That one is a very easy one to answer for me. Um, Jack Canfield's The Success Principles. To me, that was amazingly powerful in its simplicity because it's information that is so useful, so important, but presented in a very simple and easy to understand and practical way. I would put that up into the the life-changing category. It's one of those books that I almost like to, you know, grab every year and just have the renewal of the read because the principles are so solid and foundational. So that's a, that's a great book. Okay, next question. If I granted you one wish to make the world a better place, what would your wish be and why? I would like everybody to be in the position, and unfortunately often this is tied into financially, but be in the position to make the choices in their lives that are the best for them and their family. Unfortunately, because of financial people almost put into positions of having to do things that may not be for their greatest good and may not be for the greatest good of their families. So having everybody to be able to make decisions and choose for their life what's for their greatest good. And often that means things that's actually for the greater good of others because people will choose to do things they're passionate and they're really good at and often make a really positive difference to other people. I love that. I haven't had that answer yet. I like that. That's lovely. I'm excited that we've spent time together today because you're you're a day ahead. You're on tomorrow already, which is always fun when I'm talking to anybody in Australia. But Thank you for renewing my love for Australia and for sharing your brilliance and your heart with me today. And I want to close out the show by having you answer the fourth question. I'm going to give you a sentence and I'd like you to finish it. Heart-centered leadership is? Making decisions from your authentic self and your perception of what's right and what's important. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.